We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Happy Thanksgiving, Nets fans. We couldn't get two wins in a row, but one and one isn't too bad, I guess. It's a, a glass half full kind of Thanksgiving. Not terrible performances either. And, you know, we're not thankful for back-to-backs, but we are thankful for all of our listeners. We really appreciate you guys, all the support you give us. And you can follow us on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. But, Jack, we'll start with the Mavericks game. You know, the Nets lost this one, 119-113. And they really did fight in this one because they weren't knocking down threes this game. You know, they weren't making a ton of shots, but they gave them they gave themselves a chance to win this game. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it was certainly back and forth. The Nets went on a few runs, and then the Mavs went on a few runs. At the end of the night, these two teams were were pretty evenly matched. And, you know, if we had a few more of those shots fall early, if we hadn't, you know, the Mavs went to the line, you know, in an exorbitant amount of times. They just seemed to, we seemed to keep fouling them. And and not in, like, you know, it wasn't bad defense. It's just that that they drew it. And, you know, the Nets drew plenty of their own as well. So I think if we hit a few more shots early and don't give away as many fouls, you know, we could have easily got this win. Yeah, there was a, like you mentioned, you know, the refs were calling a lot of fouls, but the Nets needed to kind of adapt to that. And also they did give away a couple bad fouls, which ended up putting them in the bonus, getting to the free throw line. Dallas had 41 free throw attempts, knocked down 32, so not a great percentage, but on the Nets' hand, only 15 free throws, only 21 attempts. And I felt like there was just times where the details and the specifics in this game weren't great. You know, it was just minor things, you know, going over a screen, going under a screen, you know, putting that extra energy to contest the shot, rotating a little bit harder. It was just a smaller detail. Details, and that's something you come come to expect from a young team on a second night, you know, of a back-to-back. Yeah, and away as well in Dallas. You know, it's certainly not the ideal situation. You know, Dallas aren't world beaters by any stretch, but they do have a lot of t- a lot of talented guys on the roster. Luka Doncic is, you know, a wonder to watch. Um, DeAndre Jordan has, you know, reformed his game, especially from the free throw line. So, you know, it's not that the Dallas Mavericks are by any stretch world beaters, but they are a very solid team. And, you know, 
it's frustrating to to get this loss, but there were some nice things. If you know, like we said, we had have executed a little bit better, and some of those shots do fall, then this might have been a completely different situation. But you know, there were some good performances all around. What were this, some of the highlights for you, Nick? I mean, welcome back, Alan Crabb. You know, yes, very sir. nice to see you. You know, twenty-seven points, ten of sixteen from the field, seven of eleven from three, and like you and I were talking about before the show, he just had that look in his eye, that spring in his step. He just looked like a different guy, and hopefully, this is something to kind of keep him going moving forward. Yeah, did they serve crab at your household on Thanksgiving? It's not an American <laughs> tradition, is it? But they might have to. Yeah, no. yeah, they I'm might big... have to. I'm gonna have to call my mom. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big. I'm actually a big crab fan myself. Lucky with a bit of a brioche roll. It's always, you know, there's some nice crab in New York. I will definitely have to hit up some places when I'm over there, mate. But yeah, Alan Crab. It was just as we were talking about it off wax when he hit that first shot, that second shot. You was like, he's got that sort of glint in his eye, so to speak. And yeah, he seemed he seemed to have this aura about him tonight. It was like that that Alan Crabb of old, so to speak. And hopefully this gives him confidence going forward because he was making everything, you know, he, and he used the fact that he had that threat from the outside. He's like, you know what? I'm going to take you off the dribble here, make a nice little floater. Um, he was hitting everything and it was, you know, uh, unfortunate that Joe couldn't do it at the same time. But hopefully we get, if when both of those guys are clicking at the same time in the starting lineup, we are going to be formidable. And even, uh, you know, talk about D'Angelo. He didn't knock down histories either, and he's shooting a nice percentage this year. So all three of those guys, they have all pretty decent games. You know, the Nets will be in good shape. But talking about another former trailblazer that had a huge game, Ed Davis in 20 minutes had 17 points, didn't miss a shot, 8 of 8 from the field, 9 rebounds, 5 offensive. Nice performance from Ed Davis when Jared Allen got in some early foul trouble. Yeah, Ed Davis knows how to rebound the basketball. He's, pretty, <laughs> he's, pretty, he's pretty good at that. Um, he's an absolute freaking monster, man. Like, he's just like every single putback that is there. It's just like, you know, if Ed Davis is under the rim, I give him at least a 50-50 chance of at least, you know, if, whether it's one of those tapbacks or the sort of Tyson Chandler patented tapbacks or whether he's going to get a putback himself. He is just an absolute beast and force on the boards. It's just added a real element to us. And it, it got me thinking just like through the game. It's just like, I wonder if Coach Kenny would ever put Davis and Allen out there. Allen isn't, by no means, could easily fit at the four. He doesn't have great uh, switchability, but to have both of them out there, just because I think there would be just this real intrigue for me. I, 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 I sincerely doubt it'll ever happen, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, if Jared Allen were to be able to knock down threes, you know, we saw him attempt two tonight. He did miss, but they weren't terrible looks. Um, I mean, I don't think it would be completely opposed to it because I think Jared Allen could match up with some fours. You know, he's athletic. We've seen some switchability from him. But like you said, I, I don't think it's something we'll see from Kenny ever unless it was some really weird matchup where another team is just dominating inside and they need to do something about it. Yeah, we always talk about the sort of conservative nature of, of Kenny, so to speak. But um, I, I'm always a big fan of it. Nick, our power forward situation is one that's a, a little bit sort of tricky. There's plenty of depth there, not necessarily, you know, elite talent. But uh, what are your thoughts on Jared Dudley's struggles tonight? Yeah, it's just, you know, Dudley kind of looks like he's almost a little bit gassed. You know, he, yep. he really didn't play a lot of minutes last season. He's already played probably more minutes this year, it feels like, than he did all of last season. I'd have to look that up. But uh, Dudley's kind of just looks like he's, you know, teams are kind of adjusting to him. He had a couple nice moves, but if he's not knocking down the three ball, it's really hurting the offense. You know, he brings that high basketball IQ. We saw Kenny start Rondé Hollis-Jefferson in the second half. Wouldn't be surprised if he did that again the next game. But what were your thoughts on uh, Dudley? 
Yeah, I think if he's not hitting that three ball, Nick, then he doesn't really add much value to the Nets, especially as a starter. You know, I would have Rondé ahead of him. We talked about this again off wax because he can't hit a three, but he at least provides a real energy uh, that I think seeps through the rest of the squad. He has nice pick and roll chemistry as well with D'Angelo Russell. Um, and I think this was one of his better games and we can chat about him too. Even Damari Carroll, who I think is still maybe a game or two away from starting. But um, I think certainly those two will usurp him soon enough. And hopefully we can see some uh, Rodion's courts. And Nick, uh, mind you, 2017-18, he had uh, how many minutes in total? He played 686 minutes in total. He's already played 437. Yeah, and, you know, we're not even 20 games into the season. I know, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, uh, it's pretty wild. And I wouldn't expect Dudley to, you know, see big minutes, especially moving forward. And we never really thought it was going to be a permanent thing with Dudley. But like you said, I wouldn't be surprised we saw Carroll in a couple games. He's still definitely getting his feet under him. It's like one good game, one bad game. But you do see the intangibles. And like you said, I, I was impressed what we saw from Rondé. You know, offensively, he brought that energy. He did a great job cutting tonight and staying active without the ball. And that's something he's going to have to do when he's not hitting the three ball. Also, energy defensively. He did a solid job on Luka, a solid job on Barnes. There was a couple times there's miscommunication. But overall, I really like what I saw from Rondé tonight. It felt like I've said to you, you know, the most similar game we've seen from Rondé this year compared to last year. Yeah, and he was one of the most consistent performers last year. He did a little bit of everything, literally. You know, apart from the turnovers, which I think it's you you sort of take that some of the times with Rondé. He's pushing the pace so much. He's attacking so much. You take one or two turnovers. Three is a little bit too many, but yeah, he was active on the glass. He made a few dimes, and, you know, he got a steal here or there as well. So, yeah, it was certainly one of his better games, if not his best Despite the fact that, you know, nine points, um, eight rebounds doesn't look that great on the scorecard. But if you look at the intangibles and you watch the, the game the whole way through, it was definitely one of his better performances. And I think, you know, he wasn't taking many sort of mid-range jumpers as well. He was just attacking, attacking, attacking. And for me, that's what I think when the Nets look best as well, you know, whether it's, you know, Ronde Hollis-Jefferson or our guards as well. But, you know, one of our guards who was attacking and was making a lot of it was Spencer Dimity. He looked awesome. What do you think of his game? Yeah, this is kind of the perfect game for Spencer. When the refs are calling fouls going to the rim, Spencer does a great job blowing past his defender. He especially, like, had a little extra edge when he was matched up with Luka. You can kind of see it. You know, Spencer, we know him. He's one of those guys, very intelligent, knows who's out there and what he's supposed to do. So I felt like he did really good. You know, he did have his wrist wrapped. I'm not sure if that's why he didn't play more minutes. But this is a night where I would have liked to have seen Spencer get his minutes bumped up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, he was he's twenty eight minutes. You know, Alan Crabb was the only one with more with thirty. Um, and speaking of, we know him. I personally know him now. Now, the second time I've got a response from Spencer Dimity on Twitter when I was doing one of my game sort of recaps. So, tag the coaches as well. So, I'm 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 developing a little bit of rapport with him. Maybe I should slide in his DM soon enough. Yeah, just mention something about you know Dragon Ball Super. You guys might be best friends by the end of the month. But, soon uh... enough. Soon enough. <laughs> But you said it, Jack, you know, 19.7 assists in 28 minutes, 5-11 from the field. You know, he got to the free throw line 10 times. Just a really nice game from Spencer. That game against Miami, too, I really liked what I saw from him. He's really understanding his role, and he's done a good job of knowing when to attack, when to pass the ball, and run the offense. He'd be a starter on so many teams right now. And, you know, there's – you look at sort of the sort of guys that could be in that conversation who aren't right now, and you probably – you think of immediately of a guy like Terry Rozier, who has struggled, as has the most – a lot of the Boston Celtics right now. But Spencer Dibwitty has immediately adjusted to his new role. In the preseason, we had, you know, very, very minor worries about, you know, his form. And he completely, he put those to rest within a, a game or two. He's been absolutely awesome this season. And September 1, first article, financialrepublic.com, you know, sixth man of the year. I think 
Is he leading that race right now? It, it'd be, have to be him and Lou Williams, surely. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty fair to say that he'd be in the top of the contention right now. And he's had, I think they mentioned on Yes Network, I don't know the exact stat now, but he was either tied for the most double-digit games off the bench or like one or two behind. And I he's had he, really clutch performances too. I remember, I, I, I thought he might have had the most at one stage. Or it, him, It's him and Lou Williams. They were both had like, you know, basically every single game, like 15 games or so with double digits off the bench. And when Spencer Dinwiddie, because he's closing games now and... I'm liking the chemistry that him and D'Lo are starting to form. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, D'Lo didn't have his best night, but still, he made an impact. And despite the fact he wasn't great in the sort of box score and the plus minus, I thought, you know, his floor, if this is one of his worst games, it's certainly not that bad. Yeah, I feel like the relationship is getting a lot better. And Spencer mentioned this after, I forget which game it was. It was after a win. Maybe it was against Washington, if I'm not mistaken. You know, they both had big games. But he mentioned how they really didn't get a ton of playing time together last year. He was injured. He came back. They had adjusted the role. Kenny mentioned before the game he felt like the reason Spencer slumped in the second half of the season was adjusting to that role, and he didn't really completely buy in, and now he's buying in. Then we saw in that Clippers game, you know, Spencer kind of was a little bit ball hoggish and didn't get D'Lo involved. We mentioned it was kind of both them a little touch of Kenny too but I felt like against Miami excellent job from Spencer Dewey playing point guard getting D'Angelo going especially when he was cooking in tonight he gave him plenty of touches in the fourth quarter too so I think that relationship and that chemistry is just only going to keep getting better yeah I think it will as well and I think you know with Carol Silvert encouraging both of them these two are you know quote-unquote probably the best players right now and the leaders of the squad and I think both of them can realize how much they can feed each other and make each other better and elevate each other. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie is going to get paid. Like if, if he were to, you know, knock on wood, I'm kicking my table right now. If he were to get injured um, right now, then he would still probably get that, you know, four year, 48 million, near $48 million deal that he wants. Uh, and D'Angelo Russell obviously looking for that money too in, as a restricted free agent. So I think these two are, are developing a really nice chemistry and it, it's really fun to watch. The fact that it happened, like you mentioned, in such a quick turnaround, you know, whether it was the coaches, whether it was them having a heart-to-heart, um, not, a, not a lot trickles out from, from Netsland, but we can only see, we can judge what we see off the court. And from what we've seen on the court in the last couple of games, it's been good. And, and going forward, you know, we're going to need it because we've got a pretty tough stretch. Yeah, what do you think about Dinwiddie going to the starting lineup? Because I think one issue with the starting lineup I have right now is there's no slasher. You know, it's just a lot of perimeter shooting. D'Angelo can get in there sometimes, but if they double him off the pick and roll like they did a couple times tonight, you know, Alan Crabb, Joe Harris is a good driver, but he doesn't really attack above the rim. Spencer doesn't either, but he's a slightly more athletic and kind of blow past his guy with a one-on-one matchup. Would you advocate for him going to the starting lineup or keep him off the bench? Oh, it's tough because he, he would be fine in either role. In, and I would probably say, and it pains me to say it, obviously, because it's Joe Harris, but you, you naturally would probably take Joe Harris out of it after Alan Crabb's minor uh, resurgence as of this stage. And Joe could we, probably handle it a little bit better confidence-wise, personally, I think. Yeah, I think definitely that's the case as well. And I, I think that you can throw different looks at it and see how it goes. Um, I, whether it's matchup dependent, whether it's, you know, uh, minutes dependent, I, I think... It doesn't really make that much of an effect because 
you know, Spencer Dimity's still getting his minutes and he's still making an effect and he's doing so well leading the second unit at this stage. And I think that would be tough for Shabazz to do in his sort of um, smaller role. So I'll probably keep him on the bench at this stage, but, you know, give him those closing minutes because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. And, you know, I want Spencer Dimity to win sixth man of the year. So I look like a freaking genius. <laughs> yeah, no, I want you to get that too, Jack. Do you think there's anybody else they could put in the starting lineup that would kind of fill that slashing role? Just somebody more so able to attack the rim? Um, it's probably probably not really, Nick. You know, maybe Rondé Hollis Jefferson is probably the one that comes to mind immediately. You know, Rodion's can sort of do it, but he's not. He's more of just a, a really crafty cutter in, in the way he spaces and moves the floor. So I think Rondé and Spencer are the guys at the bench that sort of immediately come to mind. Um, but I, I think both of those guys are going to see increased minutes as their form uh, continues to elevate going forward. So I'm not necessarily uh, that sort of... uh, It doesn't really matter to me personally as a Nets fan who starts and who and whatever. It's about who sort of is there in in crunch time. And I think um, that's what most Nets fans and Buzz listeners will probably agree with as well. Yeah, no, honestly, I've never been a huge person who's concerned with starters. I think it's more so about the overall minutes. You know, we talked about that before the season. You know, we didn't really care who started. It's about who's getting the most minutes. Touching on a few Nets who really didn't have great nights. We mentioned Amari 0-7 from the field. You know, Jared Allen had gotten to foul trouble early. It was kind of dominated by DeAndre Jordan. He was just a little, a lot more physical than he was. And then Joe Harris, you know, just his jumper just seemed slightly off. Yeah, Jared Allen, that, that foul trouble, generally, it's it's tough to get yourself back into a game, feel the chemistry, feel the flow after that happens. And DeAndre Jordan, top 10 center in the league. You know, he's still a really, really freaking good center. One of the best, you know, uh, pick and roll threats, especially uh, with his verticality. And uh, I love, you know, how he's uh, reformed his game, especially from the charity stripe. But yeah, and uh, in, in other sort of terms, for Joe Harris, I think he's still doing all the right things. Uh, and he's still taking the right shots. They just don't happen to be falling. And unlike if we were to compare him to, say, an Alan Crabb, the confidence is still there. You can still see that Joe Harris doesn't get down when he's missing those shots because he still makes good plays on either side of the floor. Whereas if Alan Crabb isn't feeling it, then he doesn't really do a lot. So for me, you know, Joe Harris still makes a, a, a nice play here or there, even when he isn't at his best and that shot isn't falling because... He's still really, really, really good. And I'm always going to be biased. And Joe Harris is is a wonder. Yeah, no, he did still have a solid game offensively. You see four assists, you know, did attack, kept off-ball moving. I would say the one thing Joe had a problem with tonight was Luka Doncic. And, you know, that's going to be a problem for a lot of guys moving forward. But that's not a huge deal. And like you said, Jared Allen, he just kind of was out of rhythm. Damari, we talked about the second night of a back-to-back. But, Jack, overall... You know, it wasn't a terrible performance, but what would you say is the main reasons they lost? Missing open threes, you know, lack of detail, pick and roll defense. Yeah, all those sort of little things that sort of, you know, you need to do to get the win uh, away from home, Nick. The shot's not falling and sort of giving away too many fouls and, you know, sending Dallas to the free throw line. You get to, uh, to get double the amount of free throws of a team you're rarely going to win like because it, it, most of the time they're pretty easy shots even for you know some of the worst free throw shooters out there so uh, i think if you're just looking at the pure box score on the team stats that's a, that's the one that automatically sticks out and, and yeah the finer details like you mentioned too 
Yeah, and I think uh, anytime that happens, obviously, you know, you get to set up your defense, put them in half-court offense, and I think transition D was a, not a problem for the Nets. There was a couple instances where they got lazy, and I felt like after they tied the game 87-87, they had a lot of chances to kind of either take the lead or capitalize on it. They led with some sloppy turnovers and missed shots, but overall, like we said, not a terrible performance. They did show a lot of positives in this one, and they did almost pull it out in a night where maybe they shoot a little bit, or, a little bit better from three. They win this one. Any last thoughts on the Mavs before we move to the Heat game? No, it was, you know, not the worst of performances, but it wasn't the best of performances. Yeah, it was just, you know, they had a chance. Well, you know, what we always ask for is they give themselves a chance to win. They did have a chance to win. They just couldn't capitalize. And the Heat game was pretty similar to that, except they did capitalize. Huge fourth quarter, 30-15, to 15, won this one, 104-92. Man, it was a slog early, wasn't it, Nick? It was just <laughs> it was it was slow. <laughs> it was tough to watch. 33 combined points in the first quarter. Um, most teams are scoring that per quarter themselves. And, you know, the Nets generally like to push the pace somewhat. And, you know, at least, you know, they scored 35 and 30 points in the final two quarters, which is essentially what got them over the line. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a real grind earlier. For the fact that the Nets could keep to keep the Miami Heat to 13 points in the first and 15 points in the last, um, you know, there was something that was working for the, for the Nets that night. Yeah, I felt like the energy on ball defensively to start that first quarter was great, especially with Dragic being out, Tyler Johnson being out. They really didn't have a true point guard out there. You know, they had Winslow run the show with the backup unit. You know, Richardson did it, McGruger did it. But I felt like that on-ball defense was great to start the game. We saw that same defense in the fourth. The second and third quarters when it kind of died down. And like you said, offensively, another game, not knocking down, not, not knocking down shots, not knocking down shots. Third quarter comes, you know, they start to pick it up. Fourth quarter, they keep that pace, and then they win the game. Yeah, it was just about a game of momentum and the Nets kept at it. You know, despite being outscored uh, in the second quarter, 29 to 19, you know, they still were the, for me, they were the better team, you know, quite easily. And they deserve to win this on all counts. You know, D'Angelo Russell had a really nice game. You know, Jared Allen, despite the fact that Hassan Whiteside still continues to get numbers, I think that Jared Allen was far more impactful. And, you know, he continued, despite his poor performance against Dallas, you know, he adds value in no matter, anytime he's on the floor, I can't remember who it was that tweeted. I think it was GNYR of um, Nets Twitter was put out the fact, you know, top 10 uh, rim protector and blocker in the NBA, Jared Allen. The guy's 20 years old, guys. I'm going to keep putting <laughs> it out there. The memes are going to continue. Whenever I'm on Nets Republic or OTG, there's going to be plenty of SpongeBob faces, that's for sure. Yeah, no, it's crazy. He's so young and how far he's already come in the season. You know, we talked about the Dallas game not being great, but the night before, you know, he's another guy I think back-to-backs hurt him because physically he's just not quite there yet in terms of battling, you know, big centers every night. But against the Heat, you know, he didn't have the best numbers, but his impact was truly felt on the floor. And D'Angelo Russell, this is one of my favorite games of the season from him. You know, 20 points, took over in that fourth quarter, six assists, nine rebounds, but the four steals, very active in the passing lanes, and he kind of set the tone. That's something I'd like to see from him every night. Yeah, and he he's taken, you know, leaps and bounds in that area. And, you know, you compare him to maybe someone like a James Harden, who is a quality defender when it comes to in the post, but... D'Angelo's activity and his eagerness to want to defend is, you know, half the battle. And, you know, he's not, he's never going to be an elite guard to guard defender, man on man defender, but he can make plays. He can make uh, impact on that side of the floor, as we saw tonight. But he was awesome there. And, um, you know, we saw, you know, that's the sort of things that we want from him on a night by night basis. And, you know, he started to sort of bridge that gap. And I think that, you know, in Karis Slavert's absence, he's starting to realize that he is the fulcrum of this team. And um, he's continued to, doing, to, continuing to do nice things. And um, hopefully that form continues. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of staying consistent, maintaining this level, you know, keeping that shooting. I don't mind 40% from the field. I don't think that's completely terrible, you know, a little bit better than what we saw against the Mavs. He just needs to keep working on that. I think attacking D'Lo is so much better than settling D'Lo. I don't mind him taking the occasional three, but he does such a good job getting the paint, putting pressure on the defense. I think he just needs to stay very active and attacking. Even against good defenders last night, we saw him do it against Winslow, Richardson, you know, changing pace, using that shot fake, getting himself good looks. Yeah, when you're attacking as well, you can, you know, allow that sort of element to, you know, impact your game from the perimeter in a positive fashion. You know, if D'Lo can sort of get a pump fake game going, he doesn't have massive speed. But we saw sometimes, even in the Dallas game as well, he's got decent amount of lateral quickness. He has a good size about him and a good strength. So whenever he is hitting that mark, and we know how good his floater is, sometimes he settles for it too much. But when he is attacking, the Nets generally look their best because it sets the tone. When you see guys like Spencer and D'Lo doing it, you know, it, it, if that's what your smalls are doing, then you expect guys, your wings are supposed to be doing that sort of stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a really nice sort of mentality from D'Lo throughout the Miami Heat game. And you mentioned it, you know, attacking just opens up the floor for everybody. It forces the defense to move. Now you pass the ball, Joe Harris can drive to the rim, or you end up getting an open shot for somebody. So I think it all starts there. You know, Dinwiddie didn't have a great shooting night either, but he did, you know, still have 16 points and kind of run the show, seven assists again. You know, not a bad game from the guards in a night where the offense just wasn't knocking down shots again. They kind of came to play and got in the lane and kind of got things try try to get everybody going. Yeah, and you sort of uh, basketball is such a an intangible game. Yes, it is about making your shots, but you feed off each other's energy. There's a chemistry, there's a cohesion about it, and when do you sort of feel that sort of you know X factor that that I'm, I'm using all these buzzwords. I sound like a a, a freaking like you know a, a motivational speaker, and uh, I'm searching on synonym.com. But they were just doing they were doing all the good things that sort of seeped through the rest of the squad, even when the shots weren't falling. You know, it, it fell back to the other end where the defensive energy was still up. But, Nick, I'm going to ask you, because it's the talk of Nets Twitter, essentially, where is Rodion's Kourouz? Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. I think, uh, you know, Kenny, they mentioned during the broadcast in the Heat game, Kenny said it's hard not to give him minutes, but he's just not quite there yet. You know, maybe he doesn't know the plays. Maybe he's not 100% comfortable with the rotations or the defensive schemes. That's the only thing I could think of because I felt like in the Heat game would have been a great opportunity when, it, you know, things were really dry in that second quarter. Throw him in there. Even if it's for three or four minutes, just kind of get the energy buzzing for the team. Well, it can't be that hard because he did two games in a row now where he hasn't played him. Um, yeah. I think that Coach Kenny likes to say a lot of things and they, the Nets are always saying everything. That's, you know, going to come off, you know, as perfectly right media, yeah. yeah, the right way in media savvy. But um, I personally would have liked to, to see him in at least one of these games. You know, back-to-backs is sort of where you want to use that depth in your squad. He's never going to play uh, an 11-man rotation. But, uh, and I think with Rondé's form getting better and better, you know, I, I wouldn't mind some nights if Rondé's going to be inserted into the starting lineup. Maybe we don't have to play Jared Dudley because yeah. we have Damari Carroll. Um, Jared Dudley doesn't have to play every single night. Yes, he's smart. Yes, he can make the plays, but you know he's been pretty poor these past two occasions. And I think you need to reward your rookie when he's doing the right things. You should reward that. And you know he's been. You know I've wanted to see him. You know probably more than any other player. You know on our roster, probably some other people might be arguing for Kenneth Freed and. Maybe a little bit of Jeanan Musa, but Rodion's whenever he's out there is a net positive. And he, like we sort of talked about when I was waffling on about intangible energy, Rodion's epitomizes that and then some. So um, maybe in some of these road trips, these back to backs, 
Coach Kenny can, you know, make sure he's got the buzz on on wax on the plane and, and he can listen to our <laughs> advice. Yeah. Honestly, I think it would make sense to, you know, rest Dudley on some back-to-backs. Even consider resting Carroll on some back-to-backs. I don't think it would hurt the team. It's a long season. They're known to worry about people's health. So I like to see Rodion's myself as well. I just like the energy, the versatility he brings to the team. But uh, talking to Mari, he had a solid game against the Heat too. And, you know, it was a lot better than what we saw against Dallas tonight. Yeah, Damari is going to have his up and downs as he sort of is recovering, but he's doing the right things. Sort of like a, a, a when we talk about Joe Harris, you know, when the shot isn't falling, he still knows how to play defense. He's a very capable defender and a capable offensive player as well. Just some of those times when the shot isn't falling, it can get your confidence down the offensive end. But, you know, Damari is, I'm looking forward to see uh, in the next sort of five to 10 games when Damari really starts to hit his stride because I think the Nets should be really, you know, hitting their stride as a team as well at that stage because, like I said, there's a, a tough stretch on, on coming up uh, post-Thanksgiving. Yeah, he gives them that veteran leadership out on the floor and he gives them some extra toughness that they need at times because still at times this Nets team is soft. We saw Rondé get 25 minutes again, you know, plus minus wise, plus 17. And it felt like he still had a positive effect on the game yesterday too. Really attacking, getting six free throw attempts as well. Yeah, that's what we want from Rondé. You know, if he can get five plus free throw attempts per night, I think that should be a goal of his because it shows... Yeah, I, I mean, it, uh, that's going to be maybe a stat that I'm going to keep an eye on for Rondé. Um, I'm not a huge sort of stats advocate in, in, in a lot of senses. I think that they can be misleading, and that's why sort of I like to watch the games uh, as much as possible as a, a lot of fans do. But, you know, the, the, sometimes uh, the numbers don't lie, as uh, Mr. Hover said, Brooklyn himself. So um, I, I think Rondé is getting some nice form about him. And uh, like you said, I think you're... Uh, your permanitioning isn't the word, is predict, let's just go with something simple, predicting uh, that he will be inserted into the starting lineup, Nick, and I think you're on the money. Yeah, it just seems like a Kenny move, and he seems to really bind to Ronda, and hopefully that energy, and we'll get the player we saw last year. And if Alan Crabb, Joe Harris, and D'Angelo are all hitting threes, the spacing isn't obviously great with Ronda out there, but if they're all knocking down threes, I think it's a lot better. Again, Dudley isn't hitting threes. He didn't True. hit one. He didn't. He hasn't hit one the the last two games, and he has been a net negative uh, on on both occasions. Um, this is no slight on Dudley in any form of essential form of the word, because like we've said, uh, and I've mentioned in you know plenty of Net Republic articles and plenty of buzzes, he's being extended too much. You know, he's being asked too much of him. Anything more than 15 minutes per night, I think is too much for Jared Dudley at this stage. You know, yeah. there could be there could be some nights where he's hitting the three or two or we need that veteran leadership or, you know, the 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 the, uh, the chemistry isn't right. That's when you chuck in a guy like a glue guy like a Jared Dudley, maybe for 20 minutes. You know, he saw 22 minutes tonight. Uh, not tonight. Uh, and 18 minutes tonight against the Mavs and 22 minutes uh, against the Heat. Like I said, don't play him on back-to-back sometimes you know maybe give him if you're going to give him 20 minutes plus give Rodion's 20 minutes or 10 to 15 on the other game and you know rest Jared Dudley because his value is exceeded off the court more than it is on the court yeah and especially a player who's never been super athletic and he's getting up there in age he has to put in a lot more effort to defend some of these great athletes in the NBA but talking another guy uh, another veteran on the team Ed Davis another big game from him it's just like every single night it's like Ed Davis comes to play did I mention Ed Davis can rebound the ball Nick <laughs> I think he's, he might have 
I think uh, I think I might have mentioned it. Um, I just in, just in case you know Nets fans don't know, um, I, I think Nets Daily and our boy Flatbush and Atlantic were putting out out there is Ed Davis the best free agent signing the Nets have ever had. You know, off the top of my head, I'm not a um, I haven't been a Nets fan as long as you, but he's got to be up there. He just adds. I think Ed Davis hasn't really. He's had maybe one bad game out of the near, near twenty we've had this season, and there are. I, I think. We've talked about Rondé last season being our most consistent player. I think Ed Davis has taken that mantle from him because you know what you're going to get from Ed Davis and physicality and grunts and rebounding and putbacks. Um, and he just adds so much value. Even if like sometimes the box score and the plus minus doesn't reflect it, he's always going to impact the team in a positive fashion when he is on the floor. Yeah, you just know exactly what you're going to get from him every single night. So I've I've thoroughly enjoyed having Ed Davis on the team, and hopefully, you know, he can re-sign with the Nets in the offseason. Obviously, that's a long way ahead. But any last thoughts on the Heat game, Jack? Uh, nice to get the win, Nip, because um, it was probably one of our worst performances of the season uh, against the Heat earlier. But damn, uh, I'm not a huge Heat fan, but those Vice jerseys and that Vice logo, man, that is slick. Yeah, I honestly hate the Heat because obviously in the 2000s, you know, they beat the Nets a lot when they had Shaq and, you know, it was just really annoying. And yeah. obviously with LeBron again. So the Heat aren't one of my favorite teams. But like you said, Vice jerseys, fire. Vice logo on the court, fire. But that's, all, that's all the positive things I'll say about the Heat. Um, but let's talk about, Jack, what we are thankful for on this Nets team. We'll start with um, actual players. You know, give me your top three players you're most thankful for on this team. Uh, Joe Harris and his beard. Is that two <laughs> things, Nick? Um, I just wanted to mention because I think it was Anthony Puccio, uh, whether it was via uh, The Athletic or Mike Scotto, talking about the story related to how his beard came about in that his girlfriend was spending some time in London and Joe Harris, you know, had free reign to just not shave. And it happened to just grow uh, organically. And he uh, gave some shade to uh, your boy, Karras, and uh, Rondo Hollis-Jefferson in the... In, in the wings, it just felt like I just loved this sort of chemistry and, and everything that was happening with the Nets. So Joe Harris is number one for me because he's just the love of my life uh, when it comes to basketball fandom. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, despite you know his ups and downs, I love that we have a guy that we can root for and that we want you know to to succeed in so many different levels. Um, so it's got to be D'Lo for me because he has you know, an ability to drag this franchise, you know, out of the doldrums. A lot of guys aren't sold at him, especially outside of the Brooklyn Nets. But if you're watching him play, he's starting to sort of see those steps forward. And number three for me, it's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, if, if the guys responded to my tweets, I've got to show him some love, <laughs> surely. Um, so, yeah, this season, Spencer Dinwiddie has just been uh, not a revelation because we saw it last season, but a re-revelation because he just continues to get better. Um he is a starting caliber point guard in this league. Uh, a lot of people say that. And he has an array of offensive moves, whether it's around the basket or around the perimeter, that uh, would be the envy of many others. He's uh, He's been awesome. But uh, it's tough to narrow it down to three. Who you got, Nick? Um, I'm sure Karras is number one. Yes, that was the easy one, Jack. Karras <laughs> is definitely number one. You know, for obvious reasons, even if he didn't have the breakout that he did this season, he was obviously the Nets' best player when healthy. I think at number two, though, I got Jared Allen. Uh, you know, the fro, just the ability, the promise moving forward, as you'd like to say, the 20-year-old. I, I just have been so happy with the growth he's had. And at number three, I'm going to go with D'Angelo Russell. Did like you see well, – go ahead, I Jack. was, was going to say about Jared Allen. Did you see how cute it was when the kid came – When he, he's, 
the what he does favorite ice cream yeah, yeah yes it was so good so like paying the picture and i'm sure the nets fans and Nets listeners are buzzers that have seen this but we have to regale the story for those that haven't um he's obviously doing his uh charity work uh where he you know goes out and buys um uh, thanksgiving food for uh, uh plenty of patrons and he last season i believe was 70 dollars, but this year it was a hundred dollars so he upped the ante a little bit and uh, as he's talking to the reporters um jared allen's head almost hit the roof in that um supermarket by the way um this kid comes over he's like hey what ice cream do i get and then jared allen's like cookies and cream man and i'm just like Good choice. I know my boy Nick Busing as well as a big fan of cookies and cream too. I like cookies and cream myself as well. It's just a great combination. Oreos and cookies. I mean, inside yeah. your ice cream, how could you not like that? And then yeah, number two, I didn't even have to mention a fart that, you know, both Karis and Jared Allen are great people off the court, already doing things in the community at such a young age. And number three, I'm going to go with D'Angelo as well. Just seeing the young guy have the potential out there and the ability in the flash to really be this great player. And we'll never know if he's actually going to become that great player, but just having the, you know, the hope that he will and seeing the flashes, I think is enough for me. But like you said, it's tough to put it down to three guys. I just went with the, you know, the top three young dudes on the team, so I made it easy on myself. But I, I don't uh, give you any shade from picking Joe Harris, your boy, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, you could easily throw Ed Davis in there. Yeah, I, I really considered Ed Davis as well. I even, I like, I don't know. I have a thing for Demari Carroll too. I think he's just like that vet on the team, and just like what he brings. Obviously, he hasn't been amazing this season, but I just like what Demari has when healthy. Yeah, there aren't many things to not be thankful for as a Nets fan. I'm sure plenty of them if we had some on the buzz. And if you want to hit us up, guys, at OTG Nick, at the J-Man JBT, we're happy to talk to you or about your topics. Uh, we'll probably say Coach Kenny that they're not thankful for. But I'm thankful for Coach Kenny because I think he's growing with our team as well. And talking about our sort of three young guys, I think they have such a way about them that is so marketable in They've, they've revealed so their personalities to us and us Nets fans have clamored to that in, in a really unique way. You know, Dealer's got this swag about him. He's, you know, sort of pretty boy. He's got the fashion. He's posing for GQ. He's doing his thing. Carol Silvert might be one of the nicest people on earth. You know, really, you know, faith-driven. Loves his Chipotle like my boy Nick Faye. And we've got Jared Allen who has a fro that is as gorgeous as you will see you know even from the 1970s and a wonderful smile as well and you know a big gamer himself so i think that it's going forward as a nets fan there are plenty of things to be thankful for exactly and big you know we we didn't even say it but you know obviously this was a big we did a thankful episode last year for thanksgiving and sean marks was the top of that list because none of this yeah. would happen without him and like you said kenny deserves credit too we you hear nets fans talking trash about him all the time yeah rotations aren't perfect he's not a perfect coach he's developing with the team but we really wouldn't be here without his player development no we wouldn't and, and i think if you have to admit that even with all of his follies he has done a tremendous job in revitalizing this organization. You know, Coach Kenny gets plenty of plaudits from his his uh, contemporaries, you know, guys like Doc Rivers, uh, Steve Kerr, um, Greg Popovich. Plenty of them all revere how Coach Kenny has got. And the way we play, you know, I, I think a lot of guys talk about the energy and stuff, but I think schematically we're doing the right things. And that has been instilled by coach kenny you know in, in years past we had like guys like lionel hollands who would just be stuck in the 1980s or whatever um he would whereas, give you ed davis and jared allen if he wanted it 
jacked. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. Um, but he'd probably do it a little bit too much for my liking. But yeah, I think Coach Kenny's done more good than he has bad this season, easily. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Coach Kenny, and I think some of the shade is a little bit, you know, unnecessary. And I think people think the Nets are a little bit better than they are. You know, obviously, they still need to gel together. A lot of new pieces on this team. Everyone's at 100% healthy. And he just did lose, you know, arguably his best player in the season. So I'm I'm happy where the Nets are. Big thanks, you know, to all the players in the Nets organization, Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson. And like we said before, big thanks to you guys, all the listeners, all the fans. We appreciate all the support. You know, feel free to interact with us on Twitter. Send us ideas, you know, topics, questions. We'd love to hear from you. And also follow the show on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Netsplug.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.